Welcome back. Here's the quickie or the bonus episode we promised. We're joined again by Roger Cargill and Mike Sapel, and we're going to talk about some of the trends that are going on right now in manufacturing of aluminum cans, uh, specifically in microbrews, where they're going to vinyl wraps on aluminum cans because of short orders. We're going to talk about new special rings that we're seeing on top of like Mountain Dew fuel bottles and other products like that. And we're going to talk about our turtle safe packaging now that you're seeing on a lot of plastics, these rings that you see on the top of the containers versus uh, other traditional packaging and how that's affecting us. So we're going to start off with Roger, and, and I just want to talk to you, Roger. We're going to launch in with the wraps. There's a trend going on in the U.S. right now where short-run breweries are using a vinyl wrap around aluminum cans. So you're taking a very high-profitable, highly recyclable aluminum, and you're camouflaging it with this vinyl wrap. Um, that vinyl wrap, of course, creates issues in the smelting process. And you'll talk through that, but it has some other unintended consequences. So can you just kind of walk us through that a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, Michigan's growth in craft and brewers has exploded in the last 10 years. I, I think I saw a, a graphic that it's uh, 10 or 15 times growth over the last 10 years. And with that, you've got your uh, not every brewer is brewing multiple pallets of beer or multiple truckloads of beer so they they're what we call a short run brewer they'll take and do uh, a load of of beer internally and they don't pre-print their cans so their their labeling of their cans is actually a, a polyvinyl wrap uh, it's a sticker that goes on the can you're going to see it more and more and more. You know, go go to your party store and count how many, uh, what percentage is, is of the small run craft brewers. That produces an issue in when uh, that aluminum is shredded and then melted down. That that plastic becomes a additional unexpected fuel in the furnaces, and they call it flare ups, and that can be very very dangerous if enough of this material is uh, congregated into one bale. Uh, and it becomes an issue, a safety issue, and that hurts people. So we got to be really careful with these decisions. And I've had multiple conversations, um, electronic conversations, with brewers who think they're doing something that's incredibly sustainable. They've they've chosen the most sustainable solution, uh, and they just haven't done the the research. What happens after the container? They've done all the research on the effects of putting it on, the effects of how it looks but they don't think about, and as usual, most people don't think about what post-life looks like. Is this a trend? Really, it comes down to mobile packaging, number one, right? These vinyl wraps are almost notoriously coming from mobile packagers where they're bringing a semi-packaging unit to a brewery. They're using a blank aluminum can with a printed vinyl label. But is the is the thought process on the brewer side, if I put it in aluminum versus glass, I'll have a wider audience to use it? Is that why they're switching? Because microbreweries, for historic reasons, have always been a glass bottle. Absolutely. Uh, I don't believe I have the answer to that question. Um, I think that uh, brewers tend to like aluminum cans. Uh, I think there's a little less um, filling process, equipment process in a can versus a, a glass bottle. 
there's certainly a lot less breakage. Because if a glass bottle breaks online, you have to clear a certain distance in just in case there's a contamination issue. So other than that, I don't have any knowledge of that. So Mike, at the MRF level, are these aluminum cans with the vinyl wraps starting to cause concerns or issues in the way that you guys are sorting materials? As the product packaging changes, it, where the concerns come in really is, is what are the impacts on our downstream markets. And so, yeah, the, the, as, a, as, a, as a can comes in, if it's um, you know, a multi-material, uh, if it's a hybrid, if it's uh, a mixed material uh, product, then you know it's going to interfere with the movement of material to our traditional markets, and we can still move it, but at a lower cost. And we see this is just compounding what we already see at the MRF, because unlike the redemption centers uh, with the reverse vending machines, when we say we'll take aluminum, we're also taking aluminum foil and pie tins and a vast array of other things um, beyond cans. And so that creates a lower value than just high-grade cans. Um, now, there's still significant value. Um, you know, again, half a percent of our volume is aluminum, and it's you know, f about 5.5% of our revenue. So it's still, you know, the value proposition is still there. Uh, but, you know, last month, you know, we sold aluminate you know, slightly more than, well, just under $1,100 a ton, you know, and in past markets, it's been, you know, $1,600 a ton. The, the current aluminum markets have fluctuated. There's a lot of things going on in the aluminum market uh, with, you know, the major manufacturers like Alcoa and and uh, then, of course, there's the, the tariff situation, and we're seeing exemptions of the tariffs interfere with, with markets, and new tariffs are interfering with markets. So there's a lot of interference with the marketplace when it comes to selling bales of aluminum, uh, and that's exacerbated by material quality. So as, as manufacturers are altering the quality of our feedstock, it impacts you know, what we can do with that material, and it impacts you know, how we have to treat that material. And that's only compounded by the fact that when we say we'll take aluminum or tin cans, uh, we're going to get things other than cans. You know, we're going to get the aluminum foil and the pie tins, which are fine, but that doesn't mean we want you know, somebody's scrap metal and things that can damage our equipment or be unsafe to our employees. And more importantly, we don't want things like you know, those little one-pound propane tanks that technically they're recyclable, but if they have any kind of fuel left in them, uh, which they typically do, you know, it's, it's, it creates a big problem in our facility and can cause fires and can cause explosions. So we've, we've seen that. We know other facilities. I saw a great video of uh, a propane tank uh, exploding in the Kent County Murph's baler. Uh, and, you know, somebody can get hurt uh, or killed uh, and uh, certainly can damage equipment. And so, you know, as these products change, that's just one more uh, challenge that we're confronted with in terms of handling the material and sending it down to the markets. All right, gentlemen, before we go any further, let's take a quick break a minute to hear from our sponsor today. Are you interested in learning more about recycling? The Michigan Recycling Coalition's 37th Annual Recycling Conference is coming this May 14th through the 16th at the Ann Arbor Sheridan. Don't miss out on this opportunity to learn from educational seminars 
and listen to the keynote speakers that they bring in from across the country. Once again, that's May 14th through the 16th at the Ann Arbor Sheridan, the Michigan Recycling Coalition, located at www.michiganrecycles.org. Check it out, folks. All right, guys, welcome back. Let's get back into the meat of things. There's a trend going through the country right now where they're putting what they call turtle rings on the top of six packs. And those are biodegradable, vegetable-based plastics that uh, make it an edible if it gets into the water stream so that it doesn't become a wrap around a turtle's neck or something of that nature. But just like compostable cups and compostable plastics, we're seeing that material come back through, you know, the materials recovery facilities as plastics and ultimately ending up on the back end as dunnage or in a bale as contaminants. Can you talk to that for just a minute? Again, anytime packaging changes, what we're really experiencing is that the, the, the designers of that packaging and the manufacturers and retailers of that packaging haven't considered those downstream impacts. And they may have a certain expectation as to what should happen with that particular material, but that's not always what happens with that material. So, yeah, as it comes to a facility like ours, uh, it's not a material we handle. It's not a material that there's any market for. Uh, and so it is, as you rightly suggested, Jonathan, it's either residue that goes off in the, the compactor to the landfill or it ends up as a contaminant to materials that do have good downstream markets. And so that's why we would encourage consumers to be aware of what they're buying and what the real impacts of those products are. And we encourage, you know, trying to establish that feedback loop with their consumer dollars to those product designers and product manufacturers that what might seem on the surface to be a good idea might not necessarily be a good idea when it comes to what we do with that stuff at the end of its life. So, Roger, you're seeing, you know, on a depackaging level, uh, when you depackage, you know, bad stocks from different manufacturers, all these different components that show up that you traditionally don't see in the redemption market. In the redemption market, you're seeing an aluminum can that's crushed by a vending machine that's placed into a plastic bin that you guys take back, wash the bin, and put it back out in the field. But when you're doing depackaging, you're seeing a lot more. So let's talk about what that looks like because those are the things as consumers that we try to put in the recycle bin at the curb. And how do we get away from that? It's amazing, the whole industry of depackaging. It's such a diverse, you, you really see the diversity of what's happening in the packaging industry. And it's so obvious with a recycling eye what challenges are created by it. It's obvious that there's no post-use discussion going on. It's just somebody thinking that it's a great idea, you know, whether it's a, a carton, whether it's a, a mixed material beverage container. Um, what, it, what it does to, to break that down into co- a commodity that we can actually recycle is really, really, really challenging, let alone getting into flexible packaging. So those are all, those are all incredible challenges um, to manage that. And that's why we've got to bring those packaging companies to the table. And I think they're on their way. You know, I, I was just in a conversation a month ago about Mars, Mars bars, Mars candy company is looking at how they can make their candy packaging. You can do something with it. I'm not going to say recyclable, but I'm going to say something on alternative to what we've, they've been doing for probably what a hundred years. I think that the 
the idea of the mentality of packaging and making it stick out from behind the shiny glass door as a beverage container. I think that that is in hyperspeed right now. But I think that as, as Mike and I have both said, the consumer purchasing can control that. If you don't buy it, they don't do it. Focusing back to the commodity for a second, we know that uh, in a redemption market, you're getting a certain percentage of the aluminum that way and, and the rest of it's either coming into the MRF or ending up in the landfill. So do you either one of you have numbers kind of off the top of your head on, on what those percentages look like and where that might land in the great scheme of things? So the question about uh, utilization and, and recycling, the, the vast increase in production and sales has outpaced recycling. So recycling has seen a slight increase in, especially in beverage containers, and I'll say especially in, in plastic beverage containers. But uh, the sales has increased multiple fold, causing a greater gap between what's recycled and what's sold. And therefore, there's a lot of material that is wasted and not put back into the value stream. I would guess that the trends in plastic and aluminum are, are similar. We're seeing an increased use of single serving containers over time. And so if they're not products that are subject to the deposit system, then they're not going to go back through that highly success, successful deposit system and they're going to go into either the recycling bin or the trash can. And to the extent that we have recycling programs in place, we're capturing a great deal of those, but in those locations where we don't have robust recycling programs in place, those materials really have no other place to go other than the trash can. And we've seen that continued movement to you know, single-serving water bottles, teas, sports drinks. And obviously, if there's no place to take those, whether it's back to the store or to a recycling container somewhere, then they're going to end up in the landfill or, unfortunately, at our roadsides. Especially when you look at the, the doubt people have in their minds about municipal water. It used to be a really big preach that municipal water was just as good as bottled water, but we've had some scares, especially in Michigan, and that's brought on. Uh, I I got to tell you that Michigan, I think, is a is a is a spear point. We're having the biggest problems in the, in in the country with PFAS. We're having some major issues with infrastructure, which I think is shared across the country. Uh, ours has just been louder, bigger, and very well publicized. And I'm speaking of Flint. Bringing it home on aluminum. So there's the redemption cycle, there's the MRF, and then there's the stuff that ends up in our public trash cans, either at the gas station or the park or wherever. And there's a group of people that go after that. What's those group of people called again, Roger? The word is gleaner. So those folks are picking up the redemptive dime out of the trash can and generating some revenue for their household. But there's still a percentage that doesn't make it in. Some of that goes back to where we're a water sports state here in Michigan. And people come from Illinois, Ohio, Indiana, and other states to cottage here. 
and maybe come from a non-redemptive state or they don't want to hassle with it because they don't have curbside recycling at the curb. So they put it in the black bag and the trash bag and the gleaners, those folks of the world are not able to capture those. So they're not redeemed. And that brings us back to the sheets. So where, where does that lead us into a whole nother conversation of where do we push those sheet monies? Well, the other thing that that speaks to, Jonathan, is the need to have better away from home recycling. And, you know, Rogers and, and his colleagues have done a fantastic job of event-based recycling over the past, you know what, 10, 12 years, perhaps. We're at 14 right now. Is it 14 years? It's been that long. But, you know, you, know, you go to some of these events, and there's just some phenomenal systems in place to capture vast quantities of uh, materials that otherwise would be end up, in the, end up in the trash. And you can go to some venues, uh, you know, public spaces in Michigan, and there's great recycling. Uh, but most of our venues, our parks, our public streets, our, our uh, rest, areas. rest areas, our retail areas don't have robust recycling. And so, you know, you stop at a gas station, you're cleaning out your car while you're pumping your gas. You know, if you're not like the three of us and, and keep it in the trunk until you get to someplace to recycle it, it ends up in the trash can. And uh, if it's a deposit container, yeah, someone may or may not come by and grab it. But, you know, if it's if it's a water bottle, it's a can of tea, it's a single-serving Gatorade bottle, it's going to end up in the landfill, and that's unfortunate. And uh, we can do a much better job of, of away-from-home recycling. There are some places where they have great recycling, uh, and there are others, you know, that, that don't. I was uh, uh, 4th Street Live in, in Louisville last year, and they've got the big belly containers there that, you know, they, they compact the material. They're all, uh, they're, they're Wi-Fi hotspots. They, they tie into the collection system so the people that are coming out to pick those things up know when they're full. And they have changeable panels on them, too, so you can you can use those for messaging. You can use them for event promotion. You can use them for marketing purposes. I saw them in, in West Palm Beach. Uh, they're, they're, you know, in a lot of places, they're thinking about how can we leverage our need to provide away-from-home recycling with uh, things like messaging. And in, in West Palm Beach, for example, they're promoting water safety at the harbor and the marina there. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of opportunity out there, but it, it takes folks to think about these things and how can we integrate a you know, variety of need sets into solving you know problems with with one fell swoop. Especially as be, as we become such a um, society on the go, uh, you know, if you look at how many hours you're awake and at at home, that number is pretty small these days. So you need to have access to recycling at work, at the gas station. And at the kids' soccer field. So wrapping this up, guys, uh, again, want to thank you for taking this perspective look on the aluminum. And, again, we're joined by Roger Cargill from Chupan Recycling, the Holy Moly Goalie, and Mike Sapo, the Danger Ranger from Rossock. And we appreciate you guys from being here, and have a great day. Thanks.